So we saw yesterday the story of the end of the Melech and Shechem. And we spoke about what happened. Now we have to look to see the Melech and Agamemnon. How it was that Shechem deserved the punishment that he got. And Agamemnon deserved the punishment that he got. Shechem was destroyed. Shechem was destroyed. And Perek Tess and Agamemnon was killed. But it's not just Hashem punishes, it's not just the overall punishment that uh, people suffer, it's a specific detail that the Baruch gives, which is deserved. So, the point which we noticed, and that is when Shem was destroyed, they were, they were defenseless. The, the first day they went to fight, and the first day they lost. And then Gal Benevit, who was meant to be leading them, he gets kicked out of the city, and when and that day didn't get destroyed. The day, the following day, when the city got destroyed, is they were defenseless. And that was Mirek and Midah, because it matched the crime of what they did. They killed Gidon's sons who weren't attacking them. They killed Gidon's sons who, like we saw, Evan Achas. They were peaceful, they were defenseless, and they were brutally killed for no reason. And therefore, the way that Shem gets killed was matches the crime of what they did. That uh, they also were killed, and in the same manner, in a way which uh, they weren't trying to defend themselves, it wasn't during a battle. And uh, we have to understand another point. And that is that we mentioned this in a different context, but uh, the idea that there's a difference if a person gets killed during war, during a battle, to a person getting killed when they're not fighting, a non combatant. And uh, if you could say that during a battle, so then that's understood. Like Dora Menachet says to you, in battle, people die. So, it's not, it's, it's, even for the people who do suffer in battle, it, it was, so to speak, uh, not unfair. Moshe Enkain, if a person is not fighting, and they get killed without, uh, without going to battle, so then there's a certain injustice in, the punish, in the, what happens to them. It's a crime. Someone isn't fighting, you didn't, why kill him? And that's why the people of Shechem got killed Dafka in that situation. That's uh, the first part. The second part is also the ownership of Imelech. So also Imelech gets killed, but that doesn't, it's just a small point. I'm sure Imelech is guilty much more than being killed before everything is wrong. But uh, in, at least in this aspect, there was a certain miracle in the community. And that is, like he says himself, Abimelech also wasn't killed in battle. He was killed by somebody defenseless. It says a, a lady threw a stone on his head. So it wasn't that it was the idea of he went to battle against somebody and he was overcome by a stronger opponent. Other the Abimelech the, the in the was you attack people, you kill people who were unable to defend themselves. So that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to get killed by someone who's in that matter of not able to fight, not able to defend it. So we see both ways that uh, they get paid back for the rather they did. Uh, it's also indicative that the Chazal don't give us any indication about who the lady was. And this is Isha Achas. There was a lady, she threw a stone of the said. She wasn't uh, other times when an individual did something. So Chazal couldn't tell us they were a warrior, they were a strong person. I'm just for an example. When the king Achav goes to battle in Melachim, so he disguises himself, I wouldn't say he's a king, and it says that one of the soldiers shot an arrow and killed Achav. 
Adalpanis wasn't Stamis Lodge, it was the general, it was Naman, the general of Iraq. So that was a sign of Gavura, of the one who shot the arrow which killed the king. Whereas in so many other places, we have the story of David Melech, that the Isha Achas told him over the wall that she's going to uh, surrender Shem ben Bechri to David's forces. So we said, it's Erech Paslasha. He told who she was, it was a certain Kosh of a person. Whereas when it comes to this Isha Achas in the story of Melech, Fazal doesn't tell us who she was, and that's just the point. It wasn't some real distinction. It wasn't a chashivus that they killed him. It was Dafka, a person who was they killed him without being a without being a leader, without being in any position. There was clearly an honourable way of being killed. Okay, so that's the that's the end of that. There's one last point too. Why? Why? Why is it that they should have been someone without distinction? That's that you said. The because he he killed people who weren't competence when fighting him, so he wasn't killed in battle, which is like an honorable word time, he was killed not in battle. There's a second issue also here which the first can discuss in a different context, but it's Megay here as well. And that is the final passage of Yimelech, and that is he's dying, and he tells his weapon bearer, you kill me. Shleich Hayruch HaMasusayim, you kill me instead. And so he does. And the Shaila is, uh, we know that it's a din, a person who's on his deathbed, a person who's in the process of dying, that anyone, anyway, who hastens death is a murderer, even though the person's going to die regardless. And uh, therefore, we can't say that the person who touches him or moves him killed him when he wasn't going to die otherwise. But like the Gemara tells us, which means even those few seconds of life is valuable, and doing anything to hasten the demise of a person is considered a zikha. Now that's the case. The question they ask in cases like this was that Imelech was going to die anyway. But the fact that his death was hastened by his own choice, does that make him guilty of committing suicide? Is that like he killed himself? Or in the case where he's going to die anyway, is that not a, something he's punished for? The case where the person talk about it is Bashar and he was surrounded by the Pishtim. And Shal was scared that the Pishtim would torture him or the Mekhil Hashem to drag away uh, the king of Israel in chains and then he says the same thing to his sword bearer, you kill me and not that. First he jumped on his own sword, right? Well, it's not clear exactly what happened there because there's the first pasuk of what Shaul said to do and then later on you have the pasuk of the sword bearer comes to David and gives a different account of the, account of the, of the fact, what happened. So the question is which is, uh, which is the accurate one? That's what Mephashim discussed at the beginning of Shmuel Beis. But the message they get for us is they ask the question, was Shal allowed to do that? In other words, even though he was told by Hashem that you're going to die, and you could see that he was surrounded, he had no chance of escaping, but nevertheless he hastened his own death, and does that make him guilty of committing suicide? Um, suicide? And the consensus of the post scheme is that it is suicide. The, the question is, in order to prevent the Chilol Hashem, is it multiple person that comes in? Is that, in other words, for a person to choose to die to prevent the Chilol Hashem is clear. Is a person that has to kill himself to prevent the Chil of Hashem is a Machlekes between the Baalei Ephesus. It's a very famous Machlekes and a very heated Machlekes. The one of the Baalei Ephesus who said it was Mutter, the other one said it was Asr and called him Uretech. So you don't understand that I'm hurt, you're Uretech, because he intended to kill himself. So that's the question is, if, if to hasten one's demise in order to prevent the Chil of Hashem is absolutely Asr, it's Uretechah, or something which is commendable. Obviously, if it's a tzichel, then you have to explain King Shal, which will leave to discuss by Shal. But either way around, that wasn't the case by Avimelech. Avimelech wasn't trying to kill himself in order to prevent the Chil of Hashem. 
And the is trying to kill himself in order to preserve his own honor. Like he says, I shouldn't say that the lady killed him. And therefore, rather he should die by a sword than die by being crushed by the stone. And if that's the case, it's the final act of punishment for Abimelech, that normally we say that a person's death is the kapara. But over here, other even his death wasn't the kapara, because since he killed himself, he's held culpable for that as well. He didn't kill himself. He ordered someone to kill him. So he didn't do what So it was his decision to get to kill himself. Now you're right, there's a normal rule that we say a person is not a shleikh of The question over here is in the case where the person is going to listen to you, that's not a plan. Because uh, there's another discussion in the post game. The reason why we say shleikh of is because as a swara that I didn't think he was going to listen to me. Because you know, Hashem told him not to do something, and I told him to do it. So I didn't think he listened to me as opposed to Hashem. In the words of the Gemara, Debrei Arab, Debrei Atal, Debrei But in a case where a person knows the person's going to listen to him, because he's afraid of him, or because he doesn't realize it's also whatever the reason is. So then the person can discuss, is there an issue of Talmud when over here you don't have that uh, justifying fact that I didn't think he was going to listen. And that's the case. So over here, if you're going to say Avimelech was the one who brought about his own death, not before Jemaim, just to protect his own dignity, so then that was an act of murder. And if that's the case, even his death didn't act as a kapara. Now, what's interesting, it's brought down uh, we don't have a clear Makar for Chazal for this, even though there are Makar to it, not clear. And that is that if a person commits suicide, as he lives on a Makar. There's a discussion about it in various Chazals. That's taken on, let's say, by people that uh, if a person commits suicide, and if they Makar, even though, like I said, there isn't an absolutely clear Makar for it, I don't the person can look to see where was the source of such a thing. But let's assume that there is such a principle. Um, so the question is, why is it so severe? Why is killing oneself more severe than killing somebody else? Because if he kills another person, we don't see that murderer gets anything from a Whereas if the person kills himself, then let's say that would be the punishment. He's, so, he's a bar He's going to die anyway. Right. Does that factor in his killing himself? Not really, because like we saw, even Chayesha, even temporary death, is something which a person takes it away as a murderer. Now, so what's the difference? So the two stories given. The one far is Rabbanyana, and we spoke about it a number of times, and that is that it's true. Every murderer should really lose well in Mabar. It's an incredibly serious crime. Except, most times a murderer feels tremendous guilt. He's done such a thing, and he feels tremendous harata afterwards. And therefore, the guilt and the harata and the chuva will serve to ameliorate the crime, and therefore he won't get the punishment of losing Mabar. But if a person kills himself, he will never the opportunity to have harata. And that's the case. So he died with the crime still on his head, without the fact of the children. So he has this full severity. The other story, which is similar, is that normally, miss is a kapara. Like Gemara says, even the whatever the crime is, but a person's death actually serves as an atonement. But if a person kills himself, then the miss wasn't a kapara. The miss was just another aver. But it's a kapara if you do, if it comes, it has to come along with chuva. It's a complete kapara if a person does chuva. Even without that, the Rebbe writes, when the person gets a fear that he's about to die, there's a certain kapara in that as well. It's a certain. But uh, if a person kills himself, then it wasn't a kapara. He, he adapted, just adding to his, to his list of crimes. And therefore, the final, so to speak, uh, the, the final act of revenge, if you want, against the Melech, is even his missile wasn't a kapara. He died by killing himself, and therefore he, he goes to Shemayim fully culpable for everything he did. Okay, so that's the 
that's the story of Avimelech and Menachem Jezok last night. Rabbi Shmuel repaid the evil of Avimelech, which he did to kill his brothers, and at the same time Hashem repaid the evil of the people of Shem who who assisted and supported Avimelech in doing this. Now Avimelech wasn't really a shaper in the sense he didn't save Klai Yisrael from anybody. On the contrary, he just uh, caused internal destruction. But nevertheless, since he was a leader, appointed by the people, even it wasn't all the people, it was the people of Shem, he's also considered, there was a Tukofa where he was considered the leader, even though, albeit he wasn't a good leader. Okay, so now, having finished the story of Melech, now we're going to go back to the pattern we've seen. Yeah, all the Shoftim were. All the Shoftim were a leader of one Shem, the two Shvatim. We don't find Shoftim who had a command over the whole Jewish people. No, we saw that the virus was a leader of Naftali and Sachar, and Gidon was the leader of Yosef. We then find that the whole Jewish people worked as a unit and crowned the king. So now we're going back to Imperagut, to the regular pattern which we've seen so far, and as Kaddish was diverse, and as a result of that they get punished, and then Kaddish prophets to send them a Tariq, uh, who's going to be Moshiachim, he's called the Shepet, and we're going to resume that, that pattern. So in Parak Yud, Pastor Kalef, it says, Ayakam Achar Avimelech, and Shias Yisrael, yeah, the person who got up out of Avimelech, he came to the Shias Yisrael, he came uh, to save Kalei Yisrael. Um, and the question, for those who understand, that's coming in contrast to Avimelech, who wasn't with Shias Yisrael, and for those, interesting, the Radak says that uh, maybe Avimelech was with Shias Yisrael too, even if the Novi doesn't tell us that. Which is like a very Kiddush. Either way around, so the person who was the next Shafet was Tola, Ben Pua Ben Daidai, Yeshi Sachar. This is a shev from Yisachar. Yeshev Bishamim Bahari Frank. He was located in a place called Shamim, which is Harin Ephraim. Harin Ephraim, I've seen a number of times in the Nach, wasn't necessarily the Nach of Ephraim. Harin Ephraim is the mountain range in the middle of Eretz Yisrael. It encompasses the city of Shem and Shamran, and the whole, what we call the Shamran today, is called Harin Ephraim. And there were a number of different Shvatim who had Chalokim within that middle section of Eretz Yisrael. So, for example, here we have Ben Yisachar, who is Chalok also of Lat, the area which is called Har Ephraim. By Yishvat is Yisrael Esrim Mishan Yishana, by Yamas Ha'ikavah B'Shami. It doesn't tell us who he fought against or how he saved Yisrael. It just tells us that he was the next leader in line who, who was appointed or was chosen to save Yisrael. And so for the next one, by Yaakov Acharav, Yair Aginadi, after him was Yara Gilodi. Again, doesn't tell us exactly who the enemy was and how he saved us from them, but nevertheless, he was the next shepherd. By Yishpat is Yishol Esrim, Ashtan Shon. And he tried to save Israel for 22 years. And uh, there's a certain parakha that Hashem gave you. It says, By Hila Shloshim Bonim, Reichim al Shloshim Ayarim. He had 30 sons uh, who used to ride on Ayarim, Ayarim are donkeys. And like you see from the parakha Yehuda, Oisir Agef and Iroi. And it was a donkey which was a sign of the nobility that used to ride. And therefore, he had 30 sons who were all noblemen. Yair was one of the sons of Menashe, one of the grandsons of Menashe, and he was one of the people who was given Nachon every year. And so then we understand that if that's where he was located, Kanira, the, the threat that he came to play to save Ta Israel from, was on the eastern side of Israel, on Ivory Yarden, and that's where he lived, that's where he was given all the Sprachah, and the Yom Messiah, where he came to Now, 
this is the same yaya as the Torah. So then, uh, the we talk about, if it's the same person, then he must have been extremely old. Because it means he's already a leader at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, he was one of the heads of the families of Manasseh, and Moshe specifically mentions it by name, that Yair went and was Laka the Chavis Yair, or Laka the place, and he called it Chavis Yair Bishmai. If that's the case, then if Yair only started up to say Chavishol now, we're talking a few hundred years later on. Which is why the Summer Foshim will understand it's the same person that the Foshim explained, uh, that it wasn't the same person, uh, but the there was part of the same family. They were both from the family of Gilad. And therefore, a native descendant was called, on the name of his ancestor, was also called Yai. The difficulty with that, that's where the Redak learned, the difficulty with that is it says that he called the cities Chavis Yai. Now, that's the name the Torah gives the cities that the original Yai captured. Um, and that's the case, are we talking about the same cities who were named the same way the second time? Are we talking about different cities in Eretz Gilad, which are also called Chavis Yai? About the second year, um, which is how they are that one to learn. Either way around, uh, if it isn't the same year, the way the learned person learned, then we have a raya here to something which uh, the Midrash says. And that is, we don't find too often in the Tanakh people who are called off the names of their ancestors. Everyone's given a new name. We don't find that, for example, Yaakov Inu called the sons of Ram and Yitzchak. Okay, he's also right. We don't, we don't find the same called the son of Ram. We don't see the Shvatim called the sons of Yitzchak. Right. In, the, in the Torah, everyone's given a new name. So the question is, Hazal asked the question, where did this minag to name based on ancestors siphon? Is the Midrash about it? And the Midrash says, as a Torah Sarishonim, you can understand the specific uh, qualities or the specific uh, attributes that each child had, could name him based on his own strengths. And therefore, for example, Yitzchak Avinu is called Yitzchak because it came about through Yitzchak. Avram. Um, Avram was called Avram because he was the Av of Haman Goim and Yaakov was the Torah gives reasons why they were called what they were called which was unique and specific to them says the Midrash but now if we don't understand the unique individual qualities of each child so then we go back and name back previous people so we're not trying to blend or create a new name uh, for a child based on how we understand his Avedus Hashem or the the Kaifat Hashem gave him, we don't know that. And therefore we can just, just hope it'll be like a previous tzaddik and then you'll someone else's name. Which like I said, I'll explain right in the Tanakh. We rarely find people called after their ancestors. There are a few exceptions. So one of them would be Yod. If we have uh, the Nazim Farshim and Torah is not the same person, it's a descendant, then we have a case of two people in Torah given the same name. The other one, which is actually fascinating, maybe we'll bring the, the rights or something, is Aaron Hakoin's oldest son. His name was? Nadav. And Aaron married Elisheva. Elisheva was the sister of Nachshabir Aminadav. And therefore, Aaron's wife's father, the grandfather's name was Aminadav. And he calls his son Nadav after the grandfather. So they have him swimming in the middle. It's not exactly the same name, but it's called after the same name. And the yeah, that's the question. That's really his name, or it was just the numbers added in to obfuscate the fact that he was a bit Moshe. Um, another case, which is brought down in, in, in the Midrash, not in the Tosaf. And that is, what was the name of what was the name of Lavan's wife, the mother of Rachmane? So the Torah never tells us, but the Midrash does. The Midrash is the name of Adina. 
The Medrash also tells us that Laimi is wife as Adina. Now, according to the Mahalach and the Medrash, which is that each of the Shvatim married their sister, it means that Laimi's wife was called after a grandmother. It was called Adina. You have another case of a, another case of a name which we find repeating itself in the family. This is a completely side point in that. Why would they name after such a person? The whole idea is that she doesn't have it like... I don't know who she was. She lived with the love and she might have been a big snake. I have no idea. But anyway, I'll just tell you a side story. It was interesting. And that is, uh, Chaim's grandson said that uh, someone came to ask him if he can give his daughter the name Adina because it doesn't come with a Torah. So Chaim said, absolutely not. The wife of love and who would want to get such a name? Okay, so in a week or two later, someone else came to ask the same question. So I said, she, uh, can you call me Adina? I said, Adina? The mother of Rachel and Leia? It's a big question. So the grandson asked him, he said, no, you're not being consistent. You yourself asked the question a week or two ago, and he said, no. So what changed? It was interesting. He said, when Chaim answered, he said, he answers questions based on how gosh, he gets at the time, what's the right answer? So the other person thought it was the wrong name to give. So he said, no. This one thought it was the right name to give. So he said, yes. Now, uh, that's interesting as the Mahalik can have answered questions. It's certainly Rukh Kodesh or not. But it answered a question which I always had in Rukhaim. Maybe it's the same thing. And this was famous as well now. The Rukhaim Mishita was that you can't give a name which isn't a name in the day. Even if it's something which is popular today, if it wasn't originally a name, it was just an epithet or it was a title or it was a, a word which had a pleasant meaning, it's not a name. So, for example, if you do, you didn't like the name Shira, because you know, no one's called Shira, it means a song. So you can't be called people Shira. And same thing, you didn't like the name Zimran, something you didn't like the name Titsa, and all the other names which they use, which are words of praise or happiness, whatever it's going to be, they're not names. And I would imagine if that's the case, the word Bracha falls that category too. It's also, you, don't, you find the talk of Baruch, you don't find the word Bracha. It's sort of a blessing, it's a, a, good, a nice word, a good meaning. And you actually find all the sort of school Bracha. So I don't know if the vote was that he only developed the Shitta later on. Or, like the same thing I said before, that there was a certain understanding if he's an Indian, whether he told him right or not, and that's how he decided. Either way around, just go back to the Yusai Bias, we see over here that there are a few, not many, but a few examples in Tanakh of people who are called after their grandparents. Now, just to finish the share, um, if you want to know why the Nodibu is interested in that, the Nodibu has asked a question. And the question he's asked was a question which is a common source of conflict nowadays, and that is who has the right to name the first child? The father's son is the mother's family. So the Nebu brings us as a ride that it's the mother's family. It is the Aaron Akoyan called uh, his son after his wife's father. So that's the case, he shared the first right to name. I mean, it's not the only right, the other right is in another direction, but he brings it as a tag. Um, okay, so there we have it. That's the different how in the first time he was looking for rides in Tanakh. The MS is not that you're right. It's not that you're right. Because you have to know what the other option was. Maybe, uh, maybe at the time, uh, Amr was still alive. Maybe he didn't want to name after him. It wasn't a dis- disagreement between them. So it was Michael's time. So it's not, it's not necessary that you have a ride that therefore she would take precedence. There could be other avenues. You want to give it to I'll go upon him, but he brings the Yisoy as an example of where you find the, the idea in the Tanakh of being named after a grandparent.